The Women's Football Podcast, in partnership with Her Game 2. Hello and welcome to the Women's Football Podcast, in partnership with Her Game 2. I'm Luke Edwards and we are back after a week off but that's not to say we haven't been busy because we're at the young lionesses game the under 23 game in manchester as they beat portugal 2-0 so if you subscribe to us you'll have had that already wherever you get your podcasts joining me this week we have dan pentland hello dan hey luke and also we have emily keogh you can read her thoughts in the likes of 90 minutes the guardian and wsl full time hello emily hiya so we're going to look quickly back at the international break. It was a win and a loss for England against Belgium. A 1-0 win at home in Leicester was followed by a 3-2 defeat in Leuven with Serena Vigren saying teams are making it hard to score, which I hope would be the case really, but I get what she means. Obviously, there's going to be no like 20-0 games anymore, but it did make me laugh that I thought, sure, that's the name of the game, Serena. Anyway, we saw at times in the World Cup, didn't we, that despite reaching the final, England's performances weren't great, and this seems to have carried on to the Nations League, so do you think they're maybe being sussed out a little bit? So We're struggling in positions, I think. I think the number nine, I don't think neither Alessia Russo or Rachel Daly are really kind of hitting it banging form at the minute for, probably for club or country, to be fair. Um, so you know, so certainly for England, you know, that they're not getting the goals that we hope for. Um, I think there's probably questions defensively as well. Obviously, we're conceding too many goals, and you know, we're probably having to do too much defending. Um, I mean, even in midfield, you know, the likes of Georgia Stanway has obviously been a key player for us, you know, in the last year or so, and you know, Ella Toon as well, and you know, the, the players that are probably not shining as much at the minute. Um, so yeah, I think Serena's got a lot of questions to answer and, you know, maybe there's a, a little bit more competition for places than what there was previously, Um, you know, as, as we look ahead to the next window. Yeah, I, I have to agree. I think um there's a lot of consideration that needs to be made within that squad, but I also think we've seen it quite a few times. We saw it in the Czech game last year and we've seen it with with England quite consistently that they really struggle against the low block. They just don't know, they don't know how to get around it. They don't know how to find those spaces and get in and and behind players. And I think we're seeing it now with the Nations League, it being this kind of uh, system where you're seeing top English sides and and top European sides going against smaller ones that operate with that low block. We're seeing it more and more that they don't really know how to overcome that. So I think um, they are struggling to score goals, but I also think defending there's a lot of, of questions that need to be made. I think they don't really have a strong setup with the fullbacks right now. And I think that they're back four, they look the most comfortable in it. But I think the fullbacks are a big worry right now because you saw how easy it was for Lucy Bronze to get drawn out of position and then couldn't get back in time to defend. And I think that's something that, that Serena really needs to keep on top of and how she's managing that back line. Because um, I think that's going to cause them some problems going forward as well. A1's a tight old group, isn't it, Dan? Only Scotland are out of it, but anyone of Belgium, England or Netherlands could win the group. Currently, it is Netherlands who top it. Yeah, England have to perform. There's no doubt about it. As we go into December, they absolutely have to perform well in the next two games, score a lot of goals, particularly against the Dutch. Um, neither game will be easy. Obviously, the Netherlands and Serena Wiegmann obviously have that, that history. Um, and Scotland will always up the game against England. You know, going to Hamden, that's not going to be easy. 
you know, conditions might not be great up there, you know, going into December. And yeah, it could be a tough old game that, um, you know, particularly if England need to win, it's not a given that we'll go up there and, you know, record an easy win over the Scotch. In the Group A2, France are already through. Austria in pole position to claim second. Portugal would need to win both games and hope results go their way. In Group A3, poor old Wales are currently on no points after four games, but when they have the likes of Germany, Denmark and Iceland in it, what, what chance have they got really, I suppose? Yeah, I think Wales got a tough draw. I think any of those kind of, you know, the 10 to 16 kind of ranked sides are going to have a really tough time. I think there were some really, really positive moments in a few of their games. I think the Iceland game as well, there were some really sprightly moments where you could see what they were trying to do. It's just the execution wasn't fully there. But yeah, they got a tough draw. And I think it's interesting because this was probably the best time to play Germany with everything going on with them, with managerial issues. And kind of after coming off the World Cup, you would have kind of assumed to have a a bit of a hangover and, and struggled to rebuild, but they've seemed to bounce back quite quickly. So I think it's it's unfortunate for Wales, but I think they're showing a lot of positive signs. But I think it's this format is there to kind of grow sides that may have may struggle against top sides. So I think maybe them slipping down in, into League B may be better for them in the future as they have a chance to rebuild and, and get points and, and beat sides that are closer ranked to them in League B. And then, you know, hopefully they'll be promoted back up again quite swiftly but I think the format works for sides like Wales where they're still kind of finding their feet a little bit. Group A4 is another mouthwatering group. Spain with the freshly crowned Ballon d'Or winner Aitana Bonmati in the squad. They top it ahead of Sweden and they look the most likely to go through with Italy as outsiders and in Group B Republic of Ireland uh, as we expected Dan I know you, you said it at the start of the Nations League they've got themselves promotion into Group A after a 100% record in B1 after they splashed their way to victory in Albania. Yeah, I think we thought at the start of the competition it was a little harsh that, particularly given what you know they'd done in getting to the World Cup and performing at the World Cup, that Ireland were, you know, maybe unfortunately put into Group B, but you know they, they've proved that they're good enough to be a Group A team, and you know next time round it'll be, you know, fascinating to see how they can compete against some really top nations. Finland have also qualified with a 100% record and Poland need one more win to qualify also. Anything else stand out from the international week for you, Dan at all? Or Emily? I mean, just coming back to Ireland, I think one big talking point is how that Ireland-Albania game was allowed to, to keep going and with the stoppage in uh, in play for, for the state of the pitch, I think it's it, we're getting to a point now that we're seeing this happening and it just shouldn't be happening anymore in in the top flight of women's football in in international football we shouldn't be seeing pitches that aren't you know able to handle weather in a game like this I think it was quite you know the the clips I saw on Twitter of of how or x should I say um of how the ball just wasn't moving at all I think it's ridiculous that that, that we're still having that um but yeah I think it's it's great for Ireland I think it, it's they've proven exactly why they deserve to be up there at the World Cup and why they deserve to be in contention for, you know, the Euros and whatnot. So I'm just really excited for them because I think they've worked incredibly hard and you've seen all the on all sides of, of how much they this means to them. So I think it's just, I mean, I'm biased, I'm Irish, but I just think it's a, a really nice way to kind of end this calendar year on, on a high of, of topping the group, really. I think Spain stood out for me as well, obviously. I think, what was it, 7-1 against Switzerland? Um all the hoo-ha about, you know, everything which which has gone on from the World Cup final onwards and, you know, obviously the year leading up to 
the World Cup as well seems to have just died off a little bit. Obviously, I don't think they're completely out of the woods with that yet, but you know, it feels like they're out there playing like world champions at the minute. I think the top scorers in the competition. So, you know, from a footballing perspective, it feels like, you know, Spain are on track and, you know, they're really kicking on from that that success, you know, down under. Uh, onto the WSL, uh, then lots of talking points this weekend. Chelsea hammered Aston Villa 6-0 on Saturday. There were six different scorers as well, which I was very pleased about. Uh, the big news to come from that game, though, was Emma Hayes announcing she's stepping down at the end of the season. Now, earlier on, I spoke to Kerry Evans from the Chelsea supporters group to get her reaction. Yeah, it was definitely a shot. It was definitely a way to kill the five on the journey home. Like It was just a really weird time to announce it. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, it's sort of, is the, was this unexpected? Did you heard any whispers before this? Or? No, I, it's, there was no rumours. I didn't hear anything. So it just came out of the blue when it came up on my social media, the notification that she was leaving. I mean, do you think that um, the toll that she's had with sort of the death of her father and stuff has, has maybe played a part in this? I mean, potentially, because she was really close with her dad and, of course, really close with her family. So... It, it might, might might have swayed it. I'm not 100% sure, but it wouldn't surprise me if it had some sort of influence on her decision. I mean, the, the big rumour is that she's going off to America to manage the US national team. I mean, that's a seems quite a strange on that. I mean, to leave Chelsea, it must be a job that she really likes and she really wanted. So if it is the USA job, I mean, she used to work out there years ago. So maybe she just wants to go back and try something new. It's not every day you get the opportunity to go manage the USA national team. And in terms of the league, then, do you think this will be a case of it'll really motivate the players even more to win the well to go out and win the treble potentially now? I mean, yeah, it would be like the fairy tale story for her to leave like that. So yeah, hopefully it does motivate the players even more and the fans to even be louder and get behind the team even more now. I mean, obviously, it'll be. Uh, I was going to say that'll probably make the um, the reception now for in the next sort of home game. Well, it's Everton, isn't it? Next weekend, it'll be um, quite an emotional occasion, won't it? Probably. Yeah, I think it'd be like the longest breakup ever. Like we're just counting down the days. Like, hey, that's one less game. It's going to be a a long end of the season now because you just don't want to say goodbye to her. But she's got the right. What she's done at Chelsea, she's she's got the. She's leaving the way that she wants to leave, so that's the only good thing about it. How long before a statue outside King's Meadow, do you think? Well, I think, yeah, demand, change the stadium, name a stand, like, we'll be pushing for everything that she deserves everything. So definitely a statue, but we'll see what the club will do on that side of things. So she had no inkling. Emily, you were at the game. Did you hear anything? Nope. Um, and it was actually quite a frustrating situation for us because we just finished the game. We just done post-match. We go into the little working room to start, you know, tapping up post-match quotes and whatnot to get filed. And then Twitter, it hits on Twitter and I got a notification actually um, that it come through and it was just a bit like, oh, okay. And I understand, you know, from from things that have, that have been circulated that, you know, it was kind of a, a last minute decision to break it the because it they, obviously there have been leaks and they were trying to get ahead of it um I thought it was just quite disappointing that Emma Hayes it didn't come from Emma Hayes 
Um, and they had an opportunity really at post-match to, to do that. And Emma Hayes could have had a conversation with Sky was there, you know, it was a few media outlets um, there that, that, you know, she could have had a, a comment on it. Um, it was disappointing she couldn't, but I understand in terms of how things went that that just wasn't feasible. Um, but yeah, I think it, it, it's, it's funny because I feel like that's took the topic of conversation and slightly overshadowed the win. But I actually think it was quite a big one for Chelsea to have six different goal scorers, the likes of Aggie Beaver Jones stepping up. You know, she's been given multiple chances and she's taking them. She's really proving how how clinical she can be. And I think Neve Charles as well has been so important for Chelsea so far. Um, created the most goals and scored one as well. And I think Frank Kirby as well was just hammering. She was on form. I think there was about four or five shots that she had off the woodwork or Van Domstar saved. And it was just, she was just itching to get a goal. And I think the news has slightly overshadowed how mm. clinical of a performance that was and how that is Chelsea in their prime. Um, obviously, Aston Villa just had a a really bad day. Um, it's unfortunate for them, but it is a little bit disheartening that that the news has slightly overshadowed that win because I think it is quite a big statement for Chelsea to make. Yeah, I saw an Arsenal fan joke that it's because she couldn't sign Kate McCabe for that reason. She's uh, she's left, but the rumours are that she is off to manage the USA Um Kerry wasn't sure on that. I mean, uh, have you guys heard anything? Um, yeah, I've had it. Um, we wrote a story on it after the news broke um, that she is the first choice um, in line for the job. Um, she is one that USA have had had their eye on, and we actually spoke to her back at, in August at the World Cup when obviously the news about Vlatko um, broke, which also uh, we were involved with. Um, and when, when that happened, you know, she basically said it would be a great job. She's always liked the US, but she didn't give any inkling at that point that she was interested in it. Um, but yeah, I think everything has lined up for her to to be taking that US job. Um, from what I understand, there are conversations set to be happening this week about it because there's nothing, you know, confirmed. There's nothing, you know, done deal as of yet. Um, I think they've got to navigate how how Chelsea want to, to end the season. I, I understand they want her exclusively, which I think they have every right to want. Um, but obviously the US would want her in, you know, to start the the campaign ahead of, of the Olympics, which they've already qualified for. So I think it's more now negotiating how they work on that. But yeah, I think if she was to go anywhere else, I'd be very surprised from what I've been told. So could there be a situation then where she leaves Chelsea earlier? I don't see that happening. I think if if it would be anything, it would be a kind of dual situation where she was managing, you know, at some degree during international windows. But from what I understand, Chelsea want her until the end of the season and they don't want compensation um, if that was to happen. So I, I'm assuming that they will have her till till the summer and that they will, if possible, work in some way for her to be able to go over to the US to do some of the international windows. But I think knowing Emma's character, she will be loyal till Chelsea till that final day of, of the season. And I don't think she'll want to depart the club any sooner. She'll want to see it out. She'll want to win the Champions League double herself. She'll want to do the, the, the quadruple and end on a massive high. So I don't think... Even if that was a discussion, Emma Hayes would, would go for that at all. Yeah, I mentioned that to Kerry as well. And I was going to ask you this as well and just say, do you think that's even more ominous now for the league and, and maybe for even Europe? Because the players will be even more motivated to go out on a high, won't they? And, and try and win the quadruple. Yeah, I mean, the, the Champions League one um, trophy is the one which really kind of sticks out in my mind. You know, if there's a perfect ending to the story. I think they'll want to win that Champions League. It's the one that they haven't won. It's the one that they really want to win more than anything. So, you know, I think they'll obviously want to win every trophy, but I think if there's there's one thing that the club will want to win this season, it'll be the Champions League. And Emily, obviously, like I say, you're at Villa. Then for them, it, that result piles more misery on five defeats in a row. They've had a tough start fixture-wise, but this result and the scoreline will just keep more pressure on Carlo Ward, won't it? 
Yeah, I think it's really difficult to have those conversations now about, you know, her job, because I do still think you have to give her a bit more time. I think, you know, it's been a tough run of fixtures and there's so many caveats to it. But I do think at this point now, if it had been, you know, a 2 score scoreline, I think at that point it's forgivable. But I think it's getting to a point now where something is going seriously wrong at Villa. And I don't know whether it's execution on the pitch or tactically or something, you know, behind closed doors. But something is is really amiss. And I think you have to start looking inward at, at that point. Um, I don't think it's obviously she'll be under pressure and she'll have to be worrying about her job but I don't think it's right now the time to be calling for for her you know to leave right now I think you know we've got they've got Bristol next in the WSL and I think that's going to be a really telling match with Bristol just picking up points and I'm sure we're going to touch on that in a minute but with them picking up points I think that 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 put that that put that this puts that game at very very high stakes um, next weekend and I think that's the time where if they can't get a result or they can't score a goal or their defending again is really poor, I think then that's the time that her job comes under fire. But for me right now, this week is about building. It's about trying to get a win in the Conti Cup. It's about trying to get some points against Bristol and then kickstart their campaign that way because obviously Chelsea's a terrible, is a, is a, is a tough, tough game to have after facing Arsenal, Liverpool. Um, it, it's not Man United, it's not an easy run of games, but I do think at some point you've got to stop making excuses and have to start looking inward as to what is going wrong. Um, and I think now is that this week is going to be a really crunch week for her. Yeah, Dan's going to give us a lowdown on Bristol City very, very shortly because he was watching them on Sunday. But Emily, you're a, a busy bee this weekend. You're at Meadow Park watching Arsenal against Manchester City. And uh, Arsenal won that game 2-1. The two Aussies forward... And Catley combined with Catley putting the gunners ahead. Kim Little missed the opportunity to double the lead from the penalty spot after a, a foul by Kiara Keating. And it looked like they may rue that when Chloe Kelly equalised, but Stina Black Stenia scored late on as she took advantage of her mistake by Keating to tap home. And it was a much needed win, that wasn't it, Emily, for Arsenal? Yeah, I think it's the performance wasn't perfect. I think those first 15 minutes. I think every person in that in that stand assumed that Arsenal were about to concede two, two or three goals because they were constantly giving the ball away in their own area. Um, and it, it, said he was stressed out with that fifth fifteen. Yeah, and and I can't blame him at all. It, it was a, a pretty rocky start, but they they built into the game and and they got they found their feet. And yeah, I think they capitalised on mistakes. And I think you noticed that they were playing on the counter a lot more. I think we're used to seeing Arsenal being a really uh, possession-heavy team, but I think in this game they knew that they were going to slightly be on the back foot, and I think that they used that to their advantage. I think the midfield was exceptional. I think Volti combined with Pullover and Little really kept that midfield congested. There was really, a City really, really struggled to move the ball through the middle, and I think that was probably their main... Um, their main working point was to make sure that that they were having to go over the top and and and, and go into spaces out wide that that they then struggled to to move the ball forward. Um, I thought City deserved probably a little bit more than to lose. I think it was they had so many chances that that were just squandered, and it was really really unfortunate of, of how many times that they came so close. But I thought Zinsberger had a really good game after having some pretty some pretty lacking form. I thought she was really good. And I think Lotta Wibamoy has been one of those players that has had good days and bad days and she's had more bad days recently. But but yesterday it was a, a really, really good day for her. I thought she was brilliant. She came into, into the midfield and, and, and drove forward when she needed to, but she was really solid at the back and I thought it was a really good performance from Arsenal. Um, and I think we've always said that the, the Joy Stadium has, has been a fortress for City, but I think the decision to play this game at Meadow Park was really important because I think they needed that crowd. They needed that support. And obviously there was a 
a stoppage in, in, in play for um, an issue in the crowd with the medical emergency. But I think turning Meadow Park into such a fortress, you know, it was packed out with fans, it's very, very loud. I think that worked in their favour a little bit. I think at the Emirates, they get a bit swallowed up by it all. And I think that everything could just went right today. But I think tactically they were on point and I think they really needed this. Yeah, and fingers crossed that that fan is okay that was in the stand. Um, Kiara Keaton, she had a mixed afternoon, didn't she? Yeah, it's it's actually really heartbreaking because she made that initial error um, and then saved the penalty and that mentality in such a young, you know, she's 19 years old, to be able to then kind of make a mistake but be on top form and, and rebound to be able to save a penalty. And it was a save, it wasn't a missed penalty. She she saved that um, is massive. And then, of course, she had that other little mishap and, and the mistake, which I haven't looked back at the replay, but I don't know whether she gets a fingertip to it. So I don't know whether that really should have been a, a red card because she was at the box so I, I don't know I haven't actually watched it back um because I've seen lots of of discourse on Twitter whether that should have been a, a red card and whether the goal should have have stood I don't know I haven't looked at it back but I think it's really it's really disheartening for her but she will as Gareth Taylor said at post-match she will rebound she will rebuild from this and you know there's always going to be mistakes unfortunately for her she had them in that game but this will certainly not deter her from being a top class goalkeeper and one thing that I actually it, it slightly upset me a little bit is she was quite visibly upset after the, the conceding the second goal and um, because of the stoppage in play and because another player was down none of the, the team went to console her which actually broke my heart a little bit and I just wanted to go over and give her a hug because she could she could tell she was visibly upset and after the game obviously you know the the, the players rallied around her and that's going to be really important for her going forward and in, into next week is that she's got that support from her teammates and from the club and I think she will only bounce back and 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 use this to really to to feel her to be an even better goalkeeper than she already was. So City remains second with Chelsea top in third of Spurs, and they could have gone second with a win. But after leading through Grace Clinton's first half effort, Italian international Aurora Galli's late penalty saw Everton grab a point. And Dan Spurs are now just eight points off last season total after just five games. And, and what a turnaround it's been! They've impressed me. They've done the right job in bringing Robert Villa harm in. He's a bloke who kind of talks about what he believes in and so far what he believes in seems to have come off. Um, what he's done with Martha Thomas is phenomenal, really, to get a score in. But again, he said she would score. So, he's you know, what he said and what he's done are the same thing, which is really good. Um, you know, I, I like Spurs this year. I think they play an attractive style of football. I think they're always dangerous. They're always going to score in game uh, in games. Um and I think they will have a good year. Um, I'm interested to see where this goes for Villaham because, you know, if, if he carries on how he started, it's going to be really, really exciting. And Everton stay in 10th, but face Chelsea next. So uh, I'm guessing it's Tim Hat for them, isn't it, next week for Everton? It is, but, um, you know, I, th I think there's worse teams in the league. I think um, Brian Sorensen's got... A tough hand to deal with this year. Um, you know, he's had to wheel and deal a little bit in the transfer market to to bolster his squad. Um, you know, I, th I think they're still looking for consistency. They obviously had a difficult start to the season, but you know, I, I don't see them as being in trouble. I think they will be bottom half this year, but um, yeah, I, I don't think it's going to be an overly exciting season. It's maybe a bit of a season of building and, and thinking about the future. Maria Holbingen's late goal earned Liverpool a hard-fought victory over Leicester. Mel Lawley's sumptuous strike had put Liverpool ahead. She weaved towards the byline before hammering home a shot into the roof of the net. Missy Goodwin levelled for the Foxes just 10 minutes later with a stunning left-footed shot of her own from the edge of the area. 
And that win means that Liverpool are in fourth with Leicester down to seventh. The Foxes were unbeaten in their last three away matches, having won just one of their 14 previous league matches on the road. And that is also back-to-back defeats for them now. Those milestones are plenty across the WSL this weekend. It was Kate McCabe's 200th appearance for Arsenal. Uh, Gemma Bonner equaled the WSL record appearances for the club with Ashley Hodson. That's on 134. And Matt Beard marked his 150th WSL match with a win. And... Um, He's do he's getting a chin out of Liverpool, isn't he? He's Matt Beard. Yeah, I mean, I've always been a fan of Beardy. I think what he he can do is really really good. I think he was talking a lot in preseason, um, and at media day at the start of the season about um how Melwood was such an important investment for them to really get that team together to really gel, um, and get that identity going. And I think it's been really important for them. I thought the way they've handled their business in the summer has been incredible. Bringing Hoving is just completely she's done so many good things for them and saved them so many points but I think as a team they are really really impressive this season and I think they are definitely up there to rival for a top spot I think I slightly underestimated them actually going into the season and I think they will be up there really pushing for that kind of top five finish and and I think they thoroughly deserve that Bristol City secured their first win back in the WSL as they beat West Ham in a five-goal thriller in East London. The Vixens were ahead twice in the first half before being pegged back, but Brooke Aspin's second-half header ensured Lawrence Smith's side took all three points. And Dan, you were there, and that's a massive win, isn't it, to get that weight off their shoulders? Yeah, it was a bonkers game, really. First kind of 25 minutes, there wasn't really a chance, and then... West Ham got a penalty and, you know, went ahead and it felt like it was going to go with a form book and Bristol City fought back, two goals, um, you know, but and, th- and then they kind of had that mentality switch again because West Ham brought themselves back level just before the break and, you know, credit to Bristol City for going out there and, and getting the winner in the second half. Um, those balls in the box are, are a real problem, I think, for opposition. We saw it against Arsenal the other week with, with that header. Ashton Gate, but I think all three goals from Bristol City yesterday came from, you know, free kicks or deliveries in the box, and you know, yeah, you know, they're, they're a real danger. Um, they're scoring lots of goals, um, which is good for a newly promoted team, probably more than the likes of you know Leicester and Aston Villa have done in recent seasons after they've been promoted, and you know that that's going to stand them in good stead. They do just kind of got to tighten up at the back. Um, you know, and, and try and shut out some of those goals conceded. But, you know, they've got a win on the board now. They've got Villa at home next week, which is a huge game. They're getting good backing at home at Ashton Gate as well this season. So, you know, the, the, they're up and running and I'm sure that they'll they'll fancy themselves to give them give up a real fight for, for survival. Where where do you see West Ham done? They seem just very meh this season, don't they? Um, Rihanna openly admits she's short on experience. You know, if you look at the squad, there's probably half of the team are underage, 23 or under, which is, you know, very young. Um, you know, the, the starting 11's quite strong, but when you look at what they've got on the bench, you know, she, she'd probably want to see some of those players out on loan, but because she's short of experienced options at the minute, they're in the match day squad. Um, so yeah, I think January is going to be huge for the club. She didn't have much time when she came in, in in August to bring players in, but um, you know, they'll definitely be looking to sign a lot more experience for the second half of the season. In the late kickoff, Brighton and Manchester United played out an entertaining 2-2 draw. Elizabeth Turlin scored her sixth goal in six games to put Brighton ahead. So get her in your fantasy team if you're doing that. 
Uh, Manchester United missed lots of chances in the first half before an Elatoon screamer had done level. Gura Bungsvan looked to have headed the winner for Brighton, but super sub Rachel Williams stolen at the back post in the 98th minute to grab an equaliser. And Emily, this will feel like a missed opportunity for both sides, won't it? Yeah, I think Brighton definitely were the better team. I think they deserved to win that game. I think it's so unfortunate um, that that they conceded so late on. I, I would like to know a little bit as to where the um, the amount of subtime came from because they seem to be playing far beyond you know the the time that was allocated, and there didn't seem to be any other stoppages in play during stoppage time for it to have gone on so long. So, you know, it is a bit interesting that, but. Yeah, I think that they won the front foot. I thought Sophie Bagley had an incredible game against her former side. I think you really saw what her potential is. And I think, you know, she didn't really get a lot of chances at United, but she's getting them at Brighton and she's taken them. And there were so many impressive saves in that game from her that really proved as to why she deserves to be getting these chances. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, Rachel Williams is inevitable. She steps on a pitch and she knows that's her job is is to claw it back. And she would have been told exactly to do that. Um, and we've seen it time and time again her do that. So it's no surprise that she was able to. But yeah, I think it, it's a hard loss for Brighton because I thought that they, are, they played brilliantly. Um, I thought Maisie Simmons had a really, really good game as well. Um, but yeah, I think United, it's one of those that, you know, they brought in some really talented players that just don't seem to be hitting their stride yet. I think, you know, Jace is a, is a really, really good player, but she just seems to be lacking a little, little bit of, um, you know, accuracy, or I guess she's not been as clinical in front of goal as that we saw her for Barcelona. And maybe that's, you know, from the balls being fed to her or something's just not clicking right. But I think... Yeah, it's a little bit worrying for Man United that they've drawn three of the five games so far this season. I think they really need to be winning games to be challenging for that top spot again. Um, and right now, I, I don't see that from them. I see a little bit less fight than we did last season, which is a little bit worrying. Yeah, and that's an interesting point, isn't it, Dan? Because Matt Skinner said he didn't want the players to be sulky. But he said he's getting criticised. But basically, uh, Mark Skinner is getting criticised on social media. And do you think the criticism's justified of him? I think it's um, Groundhog Day a little bit, to be honest. Um, we know that Man United fans panic and, you know, things get blown up out of proportions in some fan bases in some areas at times. Um, I think it's a keep calm moment, but there are shades of the first season that of when Skinner joined first joined Manchester United where they're getting a lot of draws and, you know, the they need to be winning more games if they're going to be up there challenging for Europe or challenging for the title. Um, so I think, you know, it has been a difficult start for the season. It, it it wasn't probably what they were hoping for. They'd probably want more points on the board at this point. But yeah, I think let's just see what the next few weeks hold for the club. So in the championship, big win for Sunderland at Durham keeps them top at Katie Kitchen with the only goal and a pretty remarkable season for Sunderland so far. Yeah, I mean, the table's starting to take shape, to be honest. If you look at it, the bottom two are probably what you'd think the bottom two might be. The top six are probably similar to what you would have thought the top six would be. However, Sunderland are top of the pile, and nobody thought that was going to happen. We all thought they were going to struggle, and you know they switched to this hybrid model over the summer where they've got so many players full-time and so many part-time. Um, and, you know, who would have ever thought that, you know, at this point they'd have 21 points and be three points clear at the top. And, you know, they're just not getting beaten away at this point. You know, every time they go out, they're getting a win. They're not conceding many goals or if any goals at all. Um, 
you know, I think they went to Southampton and got a good result earlier on in the season as well. Um, you know, I, I don't know how Mel's doing it. What a job she's doing at Sunderland. I don't know if they can last the pace. You know, they're probably going to need another, I don't know, you know, 30 points yet maybe to win the league. Um, but, you know, it, it's a phenomenal job that she's doing and, you know, the, the, the absolute underdogs that are punching so high at the minute, um, you know, so... I'm just fascinated to see whether they can hang on and, and keep in pole position and, and not let it slip. Uh, yeah, this game also saw the retirement of former Lionesses midfielder Jess Clark, who was playing for Durham, so we wish her well in her retirement. Southampton won 2-1 at home to Sheffield United to keep the pressure on, and Charlton are in third on goal difference after they won 1-0 away at Lewis on Friday evening. It was an eventful game which saw red cards for both Katie Longhurst and Shauna Vassell in the 65th minute. But Karen Hills aside, won it in stoppage time as Kayleigh Green stepped up and fired home a penalty to give them the three points. And a Charlton going under the radar as well, Dan. Yeah, slow start. Um, I think they got a couple of draws in their opening few games. Um, you know, um, I think I think they were lucky at Lewis. I think obviously it was a late goal. I think the penalty probably it's fair to say wasn't a penalty. Lewis felt robbed by it. Um it might be a moment in their season where Charlton have got a little bit lucky and, you know, things might turn for them in, in terms of pushing for, for the title. But yeah, I mean, you know, they've had a solid couple of years, Charlton, since going full time. Um, you know, they they are pushing for promotion. Um, and, you know, after a bit of a slow start, they are starting to gather pace and, you know, they're looking at it like they're going to be one of maybe three or four who are going to kind of go all the way and really push for the title. And good news as well for Sunderland is Southampton and Charlton play each other next weekend. So one of them is going to drop points. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure they'll have one BDI on that game. Also, Birmingham starting to flex their muscles as well. A 2-1 win over Reading. Um, Emily, anything quickly on the championship? Or... Yeah, I think as Dan said, it's it's starting to take shape and it's quite exciting, I think. I've always been a big fan of Southampton and what they've done. Um, I think the way they've invested and, and the way they've tried to build has has been really incredible. Um, so for me, I kind of I have a soft spot for them. I'd like to see them do really well, but I think it's it's really exciting that, that at this point it's not just one team, you know, heads and miles above the rest. It's it's quite evenly matched at the top, and I think it's it makes the league more exciting. It draws people in. It means that you know the attendances and whatnot are going to continue to grow because you you can't separate them right now. And I think. Just having that tightness at the top is exciting for the league, and I'm excited to see that continue. So, Dan, in the uh, in the national league, what what stood out for you? Yeah, there wasn't that many games this week. There's more in the north than the south. Um, it's still hotting up at the top. Obviously, Burnley and Newcastle are up there. I think Newcastle are four adrift of top spot, but they've got two games in hand. So, you know, think things are very much still in their favour at the minute. Um, the probably the big result in the entire national league was Forest beating Wolves. 2-0. Um both clubs, I think the third and fourth in the league. Um, you know, the they're on the tails of Burnley and Newcastle. And, you know, I, I think Wolves went into that game with with a high number of points and Liverpool obviously um sorry and Nottingham Forest obviously pulled off the win to close the gap a little bit. So that was a huge win for them. Um in the South, I think there was just the three games, but Portsmouth continue to push for promotion. You know, it looks like them and hashtag and maybe Ipswich are going to try and push for that one promotion place of the championship. Um I know Portsmouth have been building for a, a number of years now. They've been a solid um Southern Premier Division team. Um, you know, and and from a South Coast point of view, if you've got a Portsmouth against a Southampton or a 
you know, a Lewis next next year, that's going to be really, really good for the championship. And I'm, I'm sure that, that you know, a, a game like that would attract a huge crowd. So, you know, they'll be really keen to carry on and, and push for promotion and finally get that title that they've been hoping for for so many years. It's FA Cup first round weekend this weekend, something that is always exciting for the lower league teams. And one player in particular will be looking to continue to make her mark is lead Modernians striker Tanya Fozard. We're hoping to catch up with her later on in the week and hear from her on next week's pod. But she's currently the top scorer, as I say, in the FA Cup this season and they'll be taking on Darwin, who are higher placed opposition. And uh, one of the ties is uh, Leeds Mordanians. Uh, they're going to be taking on Darwin. Darwin are in a higher division. Uh, Tanya Fozard is the current top scorer. She plays for Leeds Modern uh, Modernians. Uh, she's the top scorer in the competition. We're hoping to speak to her later on in the week, and you'll hear that on next week's pod, all being well. Another tie that stands out for me, Dan, is obviously locally for me, Manchester Unity, quite an up-and-coming club in Manchester. They take on Newcastle. Yeah, I mean, if there's ever, you know, the the giant playing against uh, the minnow, that's certainly a game there. I mean, what an opportunity for that club to to grow what they're about against a team that are pushing for, you know, I think the full time and the pushing for for championship and hopefully Super League in the coming years. So, yeah, it's, that's a real kind of glamour tie for them. Um, you know, it, it's probably a shame that a tie like that won't get broadcast on national TV because you know it's a real kind of fairy tale. Um, but yeah, they'll hope for a big day. They'll hope to not get um, you know, hammered um against the Newcastle side who are more than capable of scoring a lot of goals. Um, so let's hope they get lots of fans out there supporting them. And what other ties stand out for you? Yeah, there's quite a few. Um, you know, I looked down. There's a, a few tasty ones in the south. Um, that caught my eye. I think um, Fulham against Portsmouth. Obviously, Portsmouth the top of. But, you know, the top seed in the draw, I suppose, in terms of the southern side of the draw. Um, you know, I think Fulham are a team who, again, are kind of looking to build and, and climb the pyramid. Um, Dulwich Hamlet as well at home to London Bees. Um, you know, I think Dulwich will get the support, the support from the men's side of the club as well. You know, it really is kind of a a club that are kind of combined together. They can, you know, it's it's like driven by the fans. And, yeah, I think that'll, that'll attract a real crowd down there. Um, Cardiff City, obviously, we, we've spoken about that previously and what they're trying to achieve under Gemma Donnelly. They've got Cheltenham. That'll be a tight tie, I'd imagine. Um, so, yeah, there's a few good ones. Salt Dean United and Wimbledon as well. Um, you know, I think, again, I've read about Salt Dean, you know, performing quite well and, and playing a lot of exciting games, you know, taking on a, a Wimbledon side um, who really back their, their women's team. So, yeah, it's going to be some really good ties. Um, they'll all have their eyes on, you know, the third and the fourth round and on who they could bring, you know, the, the real big fishes in the draw. Um, so, you know, let's see who gets through. Uh, that is it. Thanks to Dan and Emily for joining us this week. Don't forget that you can join our Fantasy Women's Super League by going to fantasywsl.net and use the code TWFP. And please subscribe to the podcast via all good podcasting platforms. Give us a follow on Twitter at TWFP1 and on Instagram, the Women's Football Podcast. Thanks for listening.